You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Hello, and welcome to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet. I am currently sitting in a undisclosed location. But I can tell you generally that I am in the state of Colorado in the United States of America. It is July 17th, 2021. I am in Greeley, more specifically, but I won't tell you any more than that. I don't know why, but I'm feeling secretive. So today we're going to talk about helping my artistic son with his math. I had to put a little bit of a mystery in there. Because sometimes math is boring. I could tell you a number, like this is episode 102 of season 3, episode 167 of the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. But there's very few people, in my experience, who love numbers. So if I start off this episode with math, even if it's just simple addition, last episode was 101 of season three, before that was 100, before that was 99. We've demonstrated that I can count backwards. Most of you say, so what? Who cares? Numbers are boring. Get to the point. So also my third son, Solomon, who is very artistic, has a hard time finding numbers interesting, finding them engaging. Why? Does he need to do his math when he would much rather be focusing on art? He would much rather be focusing on drawing something, getting creative. How creative can you get with math anyways? Now, there are people who do get creative with math and they use math to make art. But do you know who those people are? Have you ever heard of them? Maybe some of you have, but the vast majority of us think of math and art as totally opposite things. Math is about getting to the right answer, formulas. And what is art about? Art is about getting creative. It's about making up something new, maybe. Expressing something in visual form that is subjective. Why do we think that art is about subjectivity. Why is it that that is our assumption? A lot of that has to do with what Francis Schaeffer talks about in Escape from Reason, a great book. If you've never read anything by Francis Schaeffer, you should read that book and be able to say you've read at least one of his works. Francis Schaeffer's Escape from Reason is a way of exploring the evolution of modern and postmodern philosophy through the lens of changes in art. Postmodern art is a repudiation of artistic standards, of the idea that you communicate meaning through art, but even insofar as postmodern art is a rejection of communicating something in art, it is itself a communication of a truth, and that truth is that there is no 
truth. That truth is subjective. I can't ultimately know it. It's not universal. If it is universal, we don't know it. And the closest we can get is individual self-expression of whatever ooey-gooey things we have going on inside of us, our feelings, our emotions. What does this art mean to you? That's the question of the postmodern art critic. But the question is not, what does this say about the universe, except to say that we cannot know really, truly, truth. And yet that's a truth claim. It is a truth claim when we say that truth cannot be known. Well, how do you know that that's true? Ooh, wow. We could just go in circles over and over, forever and ever. But we should know that that thought is downstream of an evolution of thoughts, which is not necessarily to be taken for granted. Why does it necessarily follow that we cannot know truth and the truth can set us free? The irony of ironies is that postmodernism believes that we achieve liberation by rejecting truth. And yet that runs directly contrary to what Jesus said, that you should know the truth and the truth would set you free. Liberation is not found in escaping from reason. Liberation, true liberation, according to Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, God himself in flesh, true liberation is found in our reason our faculties, our heart, soul, strength, and mind, loving God with every fiber of our being, every aspect of our existence, every facet of our nature. True liberation is found when we know the truth and it sets us free. Does that include mathematical truth? Well, yes, but it can't only include Math. There is more to us than math, than numbers. There is more to us than mechanical bits and pieces meshed together, achieving some modicum of existence. And that is, I think, part of the overcorrection of postmodernism, this fatigue with the mechanics. We get so deep into trying to diagnose our condition from a biological standpoint, trying to understand the mysteries of how the universe works, that we neglect other facets of our being. We're not supposed to only love the Lord our God and one another from an intellectual standpoint. It's not that you can look at an atom or a molecule or you can study something as profound as a distant star, which the most powerful telescopes are required to show the existence of, to demonstrate the reality of. There's more to it. There's more to this venture of loving God and one another than can be conveyed in numbers alone. And yet, if we overcorrect, if we reject statements of truth, of objective reality, of transcendent principles. We reject God. We reject the one in whose image we are made. And then how do we make sense of our fundamental nature? 
if we think that all there is is natural, that is a metaphysical position we are taking, and we ought to be very careful because it smacks of hubris. How do you know there is no God? You just turn the question back on the atheist. They say, how do you know that there is a God? Prove to me that God exists. And one can ask the question, how do you know that there isn't a God? Well, that's not the game. We're not playing that. You have the burden of proof. You're making the outrageous claim. Am I really? Is it more outrageous to say that there is a God than to say that there isn't a God? Well, yeah, absolutely. I can't see, touch, taste, feel this God you're speaking of. Well, how do you know you can't? Taste and see that the Lord is good, the psalmist writes. That implies that it is a possibility to experience the goodness of God with our senses. And yet, God is not a man in the sense that you can go over and shake his hand. He shows up at your front door after you insist and demand, like a petulant child, that he reveal himself to you. Come forth. Give an account to me. I demand proofs. Help you. My son Solomon is very artistic, and we are all impressed with his dedication to becoming better and better at skillfully making forms, making things that are recognizable as he draws. He's getting better and better, and we want to encourage that. We do not want him to think that that artistic sensibility and ability is less important than his math. But we also, as he is still trying to finish up last year's math, halfway through July, when he should have been on summer vacation for the past month and a half or so, we don't want him thinking that art is the only thing that is important. We don't want him to become unbalanced. And we don't want to overcorrect and say, you have to get your math done. Math is all that matters. Math is the only important thing. And then he abandons his art. But it's not necessary that we choose one or the other. You don't have to choose either to express something that is subjective, needs to be qualified. These are my emotions. Congratulations. You have feelings. Not to be trite. What's true? Are we checking our emotions against what is true, what the facts are? But we also don't want to go too far and say, all that matters is the fact. To be coldly rational, robotic. The whole reason for postmodernism, this rejection of truth, has to do with an overemphasis on cold, rational proofs to the point that society collectively became tired and realized that it was nutrient deficient in other aspects of being human. The response that God gives to Job, you can look at from many different angles. And I think the wisdom of God's response is as infinite as God is, and our ability to fully appreciate the wisdom of God's response is as finite as Job is and as we are. 
God is infinite, we are finite. And that comes through in God's response to not only Job, but us as the reader of the text, of God's word, of the scriptures. God gives us these things so that we can know the truth and the truth can set us free so that we can understand who he is, his character. God is the main character of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. He is the one who is the constant throughout. The main overarching theme of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, is that God is good, he is holy, he is righteous, he is eternal. He not only sets the standard, he is the standard. And when Job asks God for an explanation, why? Why are all these bad things happening to me? I'm a good person. Do you think you're a good person? As Ray Comfort likes to ask in his Way of the Master evangelism trainings, Job thinks he's a good person. And by all accounts, even God's, we have to give him some credit in that regard. Have you considered my servant Job? Would you or I feel flattered in some measure or very much encouraged if we found out that behind the scenes, in the midst of our trials, God had posited that question to Lucifer. Have you considered my servant Carrot? Have you considered my servant Lauren? Have you considered my servant fill in the blank with your name? And then Satan responds, with something we also know nothing about. He only praises you because you give him good. If you were to take away the blessings, he would curse you because what he really wants is the blessings. Your creation doesn't love you. Your creation loves these things that you give him. If you take away those things, he will curse you. That is the setup for Job's trials. And Job doesn't know that that is the setup. God reveals that this is the backstory, the bigger picture, to the author of the book of Job. And someone can quibble and say, well, how does the author know these things, these things that are hidden from Job? It's impossible. Prove to me. No one has any responsibility or obligation or duty to prove to you these things. But let's just think about this rationally for a moment. Would it be too hard for God to reveal these things to whom he will and to make sure that they are put into words which we can understand as well as we need to, as much as God wants us to? If that is God's desire for us to have these things revealed, then they will be revealed. Or are you saying that the God who can create all that is out of nothing, ex nihilo, simply by speaking, let there be that God is incapable of revealing the cosmic back and forth to us? He's incapable of creating us with the capacity to understand these things and be accountable for what we know to be rewarded on the basis of what he reveals to whom he will? No. 
That is silly. It is silly to try and take that ball and run with it. You're like a little kid who's playing in the NFL. And the only reason you don't get crushed to smithereens by the linebacker who's going to tackle you in a moment is because that linebacker is feeling merciful towards you and has pity on you, child. The thing I told my son Solomon as he was grappling with doing his math, getting caught up, getting finished before the time expires on the teaching textbooks subscription for this past year is that I want him to become an artist if that is what he wants to do and what God has created him to do. Perhaps that is his purpose in life. And perhaps God has made him capable of doing these things, desirous to do these things artistically because we need art and we don't just need math. But I do not want my son to be so good at art and to become popular and successful in that regard, but unable to balance his checkbook, unable to manage his affairs because it would be a tragedy for him to be excellent at art and to have an unscrupulous manager or accountant who runs the numbers for him and defrauds him. And if my son is very good at art and has no concept of math, he will have no way of double-checking the math if he gives that task to somebody else. He'll be taken advantage of. Someone else will be managing his affairs and perhaps even using him because we have to recognize that not all people are inherently good. In fact, only God, only Christ is inherently good, fundamentally perfect, morally pure, and the rest of us have what is known as a sinful nature. We inherit that sinful nature by virtue of being descendants of Adam on our father's side. So we have to factor that in. That has to be part of our equation. If you want to do the math, make sure you include our sinful nature in your equation. So also, in order to be a balanced person who's able to manage his affairs, you have to know how to do the math, how to add up the numbers, how to double-check your work, how to be thorough, and you might just find that in the cultivating of that part of your brain, that part of your mind, you become a better artist, son. My responsibility as a father is to make sure you don't only do the things that you want to do, but that you also want to do what you need to do. This is a question of discipline, not only of numbers in the abstract. It's a question of are you able to take yourself in hand and focus. And if that is proving a struggle, then this is, as much as anything, an opportunity to build character. Even if the math is never useful in your life, which it will be, take my word for it, but if you're having a hard time conceptualizing that, conceive of this, that self-control, diligence, respect for authority, your mother's and your father's authority is a worthy and needful thing for you to achieve, develop, 
cultivate in yourself. One of my son's frequent lamentations concerning his math is that he can't focus. He gets distracted too easily. And so I tell my son, he has to learn to overcome that. We have to learn how to focus on the task at hand, even when we would rather be doing other things. We have to learn to want to focus on what we need to do. That is another way of saying we have to learn to be responsible. Sometimes we use the word responsibility when we use it, and we don't explain our terms. We don't define what we mean by responsibility. Responsibility is doing what needs to be done. If my son wants to be an artist, I think that's excellent. It never ceases to amaze me the capacity of good art to convey truth. And we have a shortage of artists who are trying to convey truth. We have an abundance of artists who are of this school of thought that truth is unknowable and they try to convey that supposed truth, which is not a truth at all, it's a falsehood in their art. And insofar as they accomplish that anti-art art, that anti-philosophy, philosophy in visual medium, in music, in the spoken word, in poetry, in movies, TV shows, short stories, insofar as these artists convey these falsehoods through their mediums, they act as propagandists. And what we need is a pushback on that. So you could do a great deal of good by being an artist who conveys truth instead of falsehood, who helps to connect the dots for people who maybe won't understand some abstract idea communicated in an older style of communication. People will understand the visual medium because everything is visual. We expect and even demand hieroglyphics. What do you think an emoji is? I've become a, a bit more pragmatic about emojis and accepted that, like it or not, emojis are how most people communicate the fullness of a sentiment along with the substance of their ideas. Emojis are a stand-in for tone. And insofar as they do convey how you're feeling when you send a text message, when you place a comment on someone's social media post, emojis act as a kind of punctuation. Punctuation hasn't been around forever, but at some point, wise people decided that an exclamation mark might be helpful for emphasizing that there is excitement in this statement, this declaration. This one needs special attention. So also a question mark. We want to emphasize that this is a question you need to have an answer to. This is not a statement. Have you ever stopped to think about why we have question marks and exclamation marks and commas? Future generations may have exactly that same lack of curiosity 
when it comes to emojis. Who knows? But such as it is, we demand, we have become so dependent on, so expecting of visual cues. Over and above the spoken word, the written word. See, that's the trouble. Our need for emojis belies a certain loss of capacity to read what someone writes and intuit its meaning objectively. The problem is not that little Johnny can't read, as Thomas Sowell says. The problem isn't even that little Johnny can't think. The problem is little Johnny doesn't know what thinking is. He confuses it for feeling. That's why we so often in written communication miss the meaning of what somebody has written. And for their part, very often, the person writing to us doesn't realize what they're saying either. And they're not skillful at that. There is a kind of math to good writing where this phrase, this sentence plus that sentence equals this meaning. Context is king, but we can't learn to contextualize when we have rejected the use of reason in favor of sentiment. Edward Bernays is so much to blame for this destruction of a part of our being because he is the father of the modern profession of public relations. The fact that Jen Psaki can get up as the White House spokeswoman and lie her butt off to our faces day after day, that is very much Edward Bernays's doing. The fact that we object and we're incredulous, how can someone be so shameless? How is it that the Joe Biden White House can openly, to our faces, tell us they are going to partner with Facebook to censor what we do and do not say, can and cannot share with our family and friends regarding COVID vaccination, regarding an RNA vaccine, the long-term effects of which the general public can only speculate. This is going to change the way your DNA is read by your body. This might usher in the zombie apocalypse for all you know. I joke, but we don't know. We don't know what it's going to do. It could make you infertile. This could be children of men in which nobody is able to have children anymore and the world descends into even more chaos, a level and degree which we cannot imagine, COVID notwithstanding. People believing that there is no future generation to save up for, to leave an inheritance to, to consider, to nurture, to set an example for. People throwing out that sentiment is happening already. Whether or not the COVID vaccine eliminate our ability to reproduce and sterilize us because our betters are at a minimum content with that outcome, but at worst are the descendants ideologically of eugenicists, of Malthusian tinkerers, selfish brats. Read The Wizard and the Prophet by Charles C. Mann, in which he talks about 
these two scientists, Norman Borlaug, raised in a home in which he was expecting to inherit the family farm, take up farming like his father before him. He grows up and his father says, no, you're going to college because you are smart and you're capable and the world has need of your ability more than this farm has need of your ability. And Norman Borlaug goes off and he is systematic and disciplined and persistent and he keeps at it, he keeps at it, he keeps at it. He has lots of setbacks, he gets frustrated, but he keeps at it and he figures out how to make grains grow in places that are dry, in places where the soil is depleted and nutrient poor, in which growing cycles are sometimes unpredictable or very short, places in which modern farm equipment is not readily available. Norman Borlaug can be credited with saving at least a billion human lives in the 20th century by virtue of creating a greater capacity to grow food for countries like Mexico, countries like India and Pakistan or Pakistan, if you will. Norman Borlaug comes at the problem from a diametrically opposite perspective and intention and line of thought compared with William Vogt. William Vogt grows up in a home in which his parents are always fighting. On a good day, they ignore him and they leave him be. And on bad days, he's caught in the crossfire between his parents who hate one another and they hate him by turns because to each of them, he represents the other and reminds them of their loathing for one another. William Vogt is constantly retreating to the woods, to nature, to get some modicum of peace. And he grows up with this internalized self-loathing and this tacit question, is it ethical to bring children into the world? When he takes off as a scientist, he becomes an evangelist for reducing population. What we need is fewer people, not more food, not more carrying capacity. What we need is less people to carry. Buy less, consume less, stop existing, actually. Is that possible? Why do we have to have so many children? You call this a happy family? As George Bailey says in It's a Wonderful Life, in his moment of despair, emoting at their plight, the fact that his drunk uncle has misplaced a large sum of cash that has fallen into the hands of evil Mr. Potter. Why do we have to have so many children? You call this a happy family, George Bailey says in front of his children. And he recants, he repents of that, he realizes what an evil thing he's said, what a hurtful, damaging, wounding thing he has said to his children by the end of the movie. It is my favorite movie, by the way. That is my favorite movie of all time. It's a Wonderful Life. But William Vogt doesn't come around like George Bailey does. So his is a tragic story. And it's all the more tragic because he doesn't just keep 
his despair to himself. He goes around the world with funding from the types of people who funded the push for eugenics in America, Great Britain, ultimately Germany. And he tries to convince the governments of poor countries to curb their population growth. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez here in America takes to social media and claims that we have a dozen years before what? The sky ultimately falls on our heads. Climate change reaches critical mass. And at that point, there's no turning back and we're all going to die. Kiss your butts goodbye. It's over. Now, when a dozen years goes by and the world doesn't, by God's grace, come to an end, AOC and others are going to pat themselves on the back publicly and expect you to also, because what little they were able to pry in the way of money and political power from our cold, dead hands was just enough. And they'll move the goalposts like false prophets of dangerous cults who always have to update their doomsday predictions. Jesus is coming back on this day and this hour and this year. Send me money and I'll talk with him about you. That day, hour, and year comes and goes. and The world is still turning because Jesus said that no man knows the day or the hour, only the Father. And they just move the goalposts. They just push the date back. This is one of the reasons why my son Solomon needs to know how to do math and not just art. We need artists who believe in the math, who believe in objective truth, who believe and insist on 2 plus 2 equaling 4 and not equaling 5. Because if we're not good at math, we get taken for a ride by hucksters like Dr. Fauci. Frauds. These very subtle combinations of Edward Bernays and Dr. Mengele, who are trying to remake the world in their image. And they're seeing how much they can get away with. How far can they push this? And now they're in it to win it. And their back's against the wall because about half of us have figured out what they're up to. And there's no going back now. So they have to double down and double down and double down. And their political allies who have found them so very, very helpful in accomplishing things which without a public health crisis so-called, they would never be able to validate. Their political allies like Joe Biden are now calling up big tech companies and saying, you have a responsibility to deplatform forever anyone who questions Dr. Fauci, who questions, quote-unquote, the science. Read The Wizard and the Prophet. It's a little more complicated than you being able to point to the science, you godless, despairing, self-loathing William Vokes out there. It's a little more complicated than you being able to point to the science. You don't even know what the science is. You just love this false god you are creating before our eyes, this cosmology you are making up as you go to justify your rejection and rebellion against 
the God who actually created everything, who knows everything, who knows your heart and your deeds. The science needs to be double-checked because sometimes, just like my son doing his math, sometimes we have errors in our figures. Sometimes we forget to carry the one when we borrow. Sometimes we forget and we don't show our work and we get the wrong answer. And if we don't do our math, then we think that everything is just feelings. And that's a dangerous place to be. And I don't want my son to be there. I don't want anybody to be there. I don't want to be there. I was never particularly good at math. And when I say never particularly good, I mean I was a C's to B's math student. Language arts, you can guess. But math was a challenge. But it was a good challenge. It was a good challenge, and it's good that I took it up and that that part of my brain was worked harder, that I didn't just rest on my laurels and say, ah, yes, I'm good with words. That's all I need. No, au contraire, me. Check out Francis Schaeffer's book, Escape from Reason. Give it a read. Make sure you are double-checking your math and the math of others. Two plus two equals four. Two plus two will never, it will never equal five. Whatever weird, abstract, manipulative, bullying thing comes down the pike from big tech, big government, big science, maybe. That's all I got for this episode. It is a Saturday morning. It is 7.05. I think it's time for another cup of coffee for me. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com.